Welcome uh, to week number one. We're kicking off a brand new series called Four Things I Wish You Knew uh, About God. Real excited about uh, this four-part series uh, because we're going to take a look probably at some... uh, can I put it this way, attributes or characteristics of God uh, that maybe we hear about but we don't quite understand. And, and I think there's just something to be said about the more that we know who God really is and, and uh, his character, really we, we feel more uh, at ease with him and that we can actually come up close and, and uh, have a real relationship, a growing relationship with him. Uh, so uh, real excited about uh, this series that we're starting. Before, though, we jump in, I just have to say, uh, what an incredible Easter weekend we had as a Valley family. Thank you to all the volunteers. Can we just thank everybody uh, that served? Our best estimation, Easter at the Bardavon, we had 1,521 people uh, attend our two services there. 27 people received Christ for the first time in their lives. So that's worth clapping for, for sure. And and that's what it's all about. Since January 1st, 108 people have put their faith in Jesus Christ for the first time in and through our Valley Christian Church uh, services. So uh, God's just doing something absolutely amazing. And uh, thank you so many of you that were a part of that. We had somewhere between 50 volunteers each service just to make that happen. So many people backstage you didn't even see, but just making everything go so smoothly and in booths with uh, headphones on and all that stuff, talking to each other. And. And uh, the Bardavon asked us back, actually. They said it was just so great. They were like, please come back, but just not at Christmas. We want to have our Christmas Eve to ourselves. But anyway, we're so thankful. Uh, it was a lot of work. Uh, just I, I am so deeply uh, full of gratitude, so much gratitude for our staff that just uh, worked a huge amount of hours to make that happen. And uh, it was a very, very special time, one that I, I don't think we'll soon uh, forget. I think, uh, I think we put a smile on God's face uh, with, with uh, celebrating the risen Savior on Easter. And, and so we, we want to move now and, and jump into our series. If you have your Valley Christian Church app, if you take a minute and, and just uh, open that up, you'll have the fill in the blanks there. We're going to look at a lot of scripture and a lot of references. One particular area I'll highlight uh, that that is more so for you to look up on your own. uh, But I have a big list to give you of uh, something that that I think is very, very significant. Under the subject, the four things that I wish you knew about God. uh, Specifically, we're going to talk about the first week here. God is more powerful than you actually think he is. God is more powerful than you actually think. And let me kind of ask this question starting out. How would your life be different if you discovered that God is actually a lot more powerful than you've ever realized? How would that impact your life? I mean, we kind of say he's all-powerful. But you know what? In practicality, so many times we don't live that way, that he is all-powerful. And so God is more powerful than we actually think. Have you ever stopped to think about uh, what Jesus would look like if he just walked into the room right now? I don't know, maybe I'm like that, you know. I I love, especially Easter time, watching all these different epics and everything. And uh, that's what I did. I watched uh, Ben-Hur, you know, uh, on on Easter afternoon. I love that old Charlie Heston and uh, uh, ramming speed. Boom, boom, boom. None of you have seen it, I guess. So anyway, uh, it's a great movie. It's a classic epic. It's it's like, I think, 38 hours long without commercials or something like that. But, But have you ever wondered... What Jesus would be like if he just walked in the room right now? 
I dare say he wouldn't be at all what you think he'd be like. It's real interesting when we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they talk about Jesus, not one of them describe his physical appearance. In fact, in the Old Testament, speaking prophetically about Jesus, it says in the book of Isaiah that there would be nothing in his form or appearance that would draw men to him. In other words, plain. Really, really plain. But what was the first impression that Jesus made over and over and over on people, or first impression he made two people, that, that, that saw him for the first time. It wasn't what a loving person he was. The overall impression, the first kind of like, whoa, who is this guy? The Bible makes it very, very clear that Jesus' character was one of power and strength. And, and that's not necessarily the way he's portrayed in movies. But when Jesus showed up, the one thing that the gospel writers are very, very clear about, not what color his eyes were or what kind of haircut he had or, you know, what label did he have on his sandals, none of those things. But, but he was, his character was one of power and strength, and it immediately made a huge impact on people. Not his physical appearance, but he had power. And he had strength, and we're not talking about in the gym. We're talking about of character. Just look for a minute at how powerful and strong Jesus actually was. Just two, two examples from John the Baptist. John the Baptist was known as this like straight talk express. I, I mean, uh, he, he just, he, he called it what it was. He took no prison. He wasn't afraid to call out anybody. In fact, ultimately, that's why he lost his head. He, he, he was a finger pointer. He was rough and tumble. But one day when he's baptizing people, Jesus comes on the scene and, and says, you need to baptize me. And he goes, no, you need to baptize me. Because he realized, I've met someone with a whole lot more power than I have. The, the, this guy, Jesus, who was actually John's first cousin, he's like, Jesus? I don't need to baptize you. You need to do it to me. He recognized he was overmatched immediately. In fact, later on, John the Baptist says this to his followers. I must decrease. I need to, I need to get even smaller because you know what? He needs to get bigger and bigger because he's already bigger than me. Boom. Or, or how about this one? Another first impression. Uh, so, so John there, John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 8 some of you know the story of the Roman centurion. A Roman centurion who, who came to Jesus and he said, my servant is sick. And, and, and he said, I believe if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. He understood the power that Jesus had. And I just picture, you know, when this Roman centurion comes to him, uh, that, that first impression of Jesus full of authority and mystery and power and leadership. He's a man of strength. And the whole thing is the Roman centurion was also those things, but he realized, I'm outmatched by this guy. I, I think sometimes we've so sanitized and watered down and, and weakened Jesus that this is one of the reasons why I say reading the Bible will mess you up as a Christian. Because if you actually read what's in there, Jesus isn't like, 
Oh, hi, how are you? My name's Yeshua. It wasn't Pee Wee Herman, for God's sake. It's Jesus the Christ. It was power and strength, and it was oozing out of his body. I, I think the real Jesus, can I put it this way? I think the real Jesus is the greatest picture of masculinity there's ever been on the planet. And he was a man's man, no doubt about it. Let, let me just... Uh, Conclude this Roman centurion, he says, you just say the word. I mean, I think about this. This is like Russell Crowe in Gladiator. This is like General Maximus Decimus Meridius, you know, who, who's basically saying to Jesus, you're the man, not me. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, I have not seen so great a faith in anyone in all of Israel. That's power coming from a... a a Roman centurion, a warrior of warriors. He was God in the flesh. Look for just a minute in your notes how, God, how the Bible describes Jesus. He is power personified. Power personified. Let me just go through a list here, and, and I encourage you to look these up on your own. But these are descriptions of Jesus actually from the Bible. First of all, it says in John 5, uh, 7 to 19, and also in 10, Jesus is the power of God. It wasn't just, it flowed through him. It was Jesus is the power. He's the source of the power of God. Then it says Jesus' power is from the Father. That the, the Father gives him all the power. And, and how about this? Jesus is described as supreme. That's not a wimpy term. That's not kind of like a spineless, milquetoast, you know, kind of guy, some, some weakling. He's supreme. That means above everything and everyone. Then it says Jesus is, how about this? Jesus is unlimited. There's, there's nothing that can stop him. He's unlimited. Then the, Jesus is over all things. Everything is under his feet. Jesus is over all things. Then it says Jesus is glorious, and we, we sang about this on Easter, and, and uh, uh, make him glorious, make his praise glorious, because he is glorious. I mean, he outshines, he outradiates, his radius is, is brighter than the sun itself. That's power. That's power. Jesus is everlasting. He has no beginning, and he has no end. In fact, in the book of Revelation, he describes himself as the one who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega. That's power. You can't confine him. You can't trap him. You can't hold him down. The grave couldn't even hold him down. That's power. Everlasting. Jesus is able to subdue all things. Just completely, just like, whew. It's just one day he's actually going to take all the creation and just fold it up like a handkerchief and stick it in his back pocket. That's, that's Jesus of the Bible. It's not Jesus of Hollywood. That's Jesus of the Bible, able to subdue all things. Goes on and says, Jesus is upholding all things, the Bible says in Colossians, by the power of his word. That's how powerful he is. He's not holding it together with his arms. or his, It's his word that holds all things together. All he has to say is, done. <laughs> We're all vaporized. This is, this is like mind-blowing power. 
This is why it's so important. If we'll just allow God to be who he really is, it'll change how you see life. It'll change how you pray. It'll change how you live. Jesus is upholding all things. Jesus is salvation. Salvation is not what he does. It's who he is. Jesus has power to perform miracles. Jesus also enables other people to, uh, uh, other works of miracles. Uh, enables others to do works of miracles. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. No one else has the power to do that. To, to completely wipe sins away. Obliterate the sins of humanity. Only Jesus. Only Jesus could do that. Jesus has the power of eternal life. You don't have that power. I don't have that power. We can't elect anybody to have that power. We can't vote anybody out of office to have that power. It's just Jesus. Jesus is supreme. He's above all. Finally, Jesus has the power to raise the dead. That's what we looked at at Easter. He's, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet he will live. Jesus was power personified, real power. This isn't, this isn't make-believe. This isn't special effects. This is power, real power. And just, 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 just for a moment, let's just try to wrap our heads around that. That's the God we serve. He, he's not swayed by popular opinion. This is Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords, real power. He's power personified. And he took on flesh. And he lived a sinless life. And he put himself in your place and my place of what we deserved because of our sin. And he sacrificed himself on the cross and he paid the price for our sins. And he rose from the dead. And he appeared to people that didn't even believe in him. And their lives were changed so dramatically after seeing him risen from the dead that they were willing to go to their graves for that declaration that he's alive. That, that's real power. And Jesus came to this earth, and it was a power play. It was a power play. His whole incarnation was taking back the souls of men. It was a power play from the kingdom of darkness, from our enemy. And I want to take just a, a brief look at one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible. That really happened just a week ago, on Thursday, the night that Jesus was betrayed. Because he shows something about what real power actually is. And all the things that we just looked at that the Bible says, this is who he is. We're going to see in almost one simple act. Before his crucifixion, he really demonstrated what real power actually is all about. It's in John chapter 13, verse 3. This is another one of those places that makes a 
power statement about who Jesus is. Look at look what it says, John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus knew, this is on Thursday night, Maundy Thursday, we call Thursday before his crucifixion. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. This is before he went to the cross. That's not why he got the authority. He always had the authority. It says Jesus knew that God had given him authority over everything. That's, that's every, not just redemption, not the church, over everything. He had authority over everything. And that he had come from God and that he would return from God. And so Jesus is completely aware on that Thursday night, I've got all the power and authority in all of creation. What does he do with it? What does he do with it? This is an amazing statement about the power of Jesus and the authority that God had given to him. Authority over everything. Look at the next verse, verse 4. So, because he knew he had authority and power over everything, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Because he knew he had all the power in the universe, he got up from the table and he washed the disciples' feet because he knew he was in charge of everything. The ultimate CEO, the ultimate boss, the, the, the ultimate man of all humanity, God himself understood he had all the power and he used it to serve. He used it to serve his disciples and he washed his disciples' feet. I heard Pastor Andy Stanley say it this way one time, Jesus realized that he was the most powerful person in the room. So he chose to use that power and authority to benefit others. Let me ask you a question. What's your first move when you realize you're the most powerful person in the room? What's your first move when you become a powerful person? What, what is it that you do? Now, <laughs> now everybody's going to do what I tell them to do. Now everybody ought to listen up to me because I'm the most powerful one in the room. Listen, that's not God power. That's sinful, broken down world power. Jesus knew he had all the power. And what did he do? When he realized that God had entrusted all authority into his hands, he poured a basin of water. He took off his robe so he looked like a servant. And he cleaned the dirt out from underneath the toenails of the disciples. That's power. That's real power when you know who you are. That you don't have to prove it. That you're secure that 
<laughs> Your very word is holding all of creation together. That's real power. Jesus sheds the symbol of his authority, his robe. Jesus' disciples are absolutely stunned by his humility. The one who had the most power in all of creation. And he became a humble servant. Jesus is more powerful than you could possibly imagine. That I could possibly imagine. And because he knew he had all the power, what did he do? He served those in the room who had less power, less authority, less influence. What's your first move when you become a powerful person? See, the reality is every one of us has power. We, we have influence. Maybe it's on the job. Maybe it's in the classroom. Maybe it's in our home. We all have a measure of power. What are you doing with the power you have? Promoting yourself? Pushing your own agenda? Trying to step on others on your way up? Or do we follow the example of the one who had the most power? Helping the others in the room to become more than they could possibly be on their own. What's your first move when you become a powerful person? Don't leverage your power for your own sake, but for the sake of others that are in the room. Look for opportunities to leverage your power for the other people in the room. It's an interesting story. It's kind of legend, actually. I tried to verify it, and everything I came up with was that it's probably legend. There's no fact. They can't factually verify this. But George Washington, the father of our nation, when he, he was the victorious general of the Revolutionary War, built, uh, beat rather, defeated the, the, the most powerful empire in the world at the time. Just doesn't even make sense that we won the revolution, the American Revolution, but he did. And, and he was voted in as the president. And there's some legend that says that actually they wanted to, that many influential people in the United States wanted George Washington to begin an American monarchy. Because there was no such thing as a president anywhere. All other nations were ruled by a king or a queen. There was no such thing as an elected head of a nation. That George Washington actually really kind of defined what a president was, and he refused to be the king of the colonies. That's power. Power is when you know what you have and you say, I'm not going to use that for my benefit. I want to benefit others because of the power that's been, that's been placed within me. What's your first move when you become a powerful person? When we think about Jesus taking that towel, tying it around his waist, and washing the disciples' feet. As believers, we share in that same power, the power of Jesus Christ, that he's placed power and authority in your life and in my life as we've received him as our Lord and our Savior. What are you doing with that power? 
When I was, uh, actually when Susie and I were in college, my senior year, uh, the summer between my senior year, the church that was affiliated with the college, Liberty uh, Christian College that we went to uh, in Pensacola, Florida, uh, there was a huge church split. The split was a mega church back in the 80s when there were very few, over 2,000 people. And there was a huge church split, and I had been named at the end of my junior year student body president. And I can remember flying back into Pensacola from New York and uh, just wondering, like, God, what in the world is going to be waiting for me here? And Susie and I were engaged. We were going to be married the following year. And, and, and when we got there, I mean, the campus, it was awful. I was breaking up fist fights in the dorm because uh, there was a huge church split and, and half the students and the people went to another church, started another church on the other side of town and, and, and Liberty Church remained there. And, and the dorm, the, the student body was just split right down the middle and literally, like I said, breaking up fist fights. And, all. and here I am, student body president. I'm like, really God, for this time? Thank you. You know, why, why, not? why not when it was nice, smooth and easy a year before? And, and I remember I had a student council meeting. The student council was actually split right down the middle. And I'm thinking, like, what in the world am I going to do to try to bring some peace and some unity to this student body that doesn't fracture the entire college permanently? And I remember reading about Jesus and what he did. And so every year, at the beginning of the year, we had a communion service, a joint communion service, and the student body president was responsible for leading in communion. I'm thinking, like, how in the world are we going to have communion? Half the people hate each other, and the other half just really dislike the other folks. I mean, you know, how are we going to do this? And so I talked to the student council, and there's probably about myself and probably six other people there. So we put the calendar on the calendar communion, and we called the student body together, and man, you should have seen it. It was like, it was like a junior high dance, you know. Half the folks were on that side, you know, like boys on that side, girls on that side, but it was the two churches on the other side, opposite sides of the room. Nobody in the middle. And then I stood up after some time of worship, which just went nowhere. It was just singing songs. It was not worshipful at all. And I said, with my knees trembling, listen, folks, we're not going to have communion tonight. There's something else I think we need to do. And right then, that queue, student council, the door flung open and they walked in with huge pans of water and we set up seven chairs and I said we the student council are going to wash your feet tonight every single one of you 400 plus people and one by one they came I, I, I saw some feet that night let me tell you that's why you should keep shoes covered up. Those, I'm no, no one has pretty feet, by the way. You might think you do. You don't. You don't. <laughs> and we wash feet, and you should have seen it. As, as we're washing feet, people just, just begin to weep and sob. And, and, and people stand back like, no, no, you can't wash my feet. No, you don't leave here until we wash your feet. And it's like all of a sudden it just broke that, that spirit over our campus. Jesus had power and he used it to benefit those in the room. 
not himself. And he left you and I an example to follow. And so that's, right, that's why right now, the staff is going to bring in the water, and I'm going to wash everyone's feet right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that, because I already saw some of your feet. But anyway, uh, what's the opposite of real, legitimate power? Because Jesus had real power. What's worldly power look like? Wavering, unsure, unstable, fickle, indecisive, half-hearted, half-steps, half-measures, overbearing, dominating, controlling. That's the world. That's not Jesus. That's the opposite of real power. Jesus had real power. And he gave us a power perspective a power perspective. This is what he said as soon as he was done washing the disciples' feet. He gave them perspective that you and I need as well. Verse 12 of John 13 says, After washing the, the, their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down. And he asked them, Do you understand what I was doing? Do, do, you, do you get it? Do you understand? You call me teacher and Lord. In other words, Lord is owner, master. And you're right because that's, that's who I am. He, he's not denying who he is. He's like, I am the Lord. I'm the master. I have authority over everything. Goes on and says, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. In other words, you ought to serve each other. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. He says, you want power? You, you want the power of God in your life? Serve other people. Don't ask God to give you power so you can proceed with your agenda, so you can do your will. He says, yeah. God's more powerful than you can ever imagine. You want power? God will give you power. It's not for selfish reasons, though. Follow my example, he said. Do as I've done to you. It goes on and it says, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master. <laughs> He's saying, no, you call me Lord. That means master. He goes, if I'm your master, you're my slaves. Slaves aren't greater than their master, nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends him. He's just an errand boy. He's just a messenger boy. Now that you know these things, God will bless you doing them. So, so many times we ask God to bless us, don't we? And Jesus says, you need to put yourself in a position to be blessed. You, you, you want power? Real power. Authentic 
power. Power that's not of this world. God doesn't give it to people to fulfill their own ambition. Jesus says, you do what I've done. You follow my example. You use the power to benefit others, to serve others instead of yourself. God will bless you. God will bless you. Very interesting, by the way, just a side note, Roman Catholic Church has seven sacraments. There was a time in church history that there was much debate over this becoming the eighth sacrament, foot washing. That, that, that's the level of which like communion, marriage, Protestant churches have two sacraments, communion, baptism, marriage is important too, it's just not seen as sacramental. The Roman Catholic Church like, we may need to make this the eighth sacrament because Jesus said, do what I showed you to do. Do what I've done. It's a commandment, not a suggestion. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. It's a power perspective, and it's a perspective of power that, that Jesus wants every one of his followers to have, not just a, a mindset but the action that follows it. Why, why do we ask God for his power? Maybe not you, I'll just be honest about me. So many times it's so I can do what I want to do. So things go the way I want them to go. That just contradicts everything Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, I'll give you power to serve others to benefit others, to bless others. Because here's the thing, God is more powerful than we could possibly wrap our heads around. And he wants to work through our lives, but he's not gonna force us to serve others. He's not gonna do that. When it dawns on you and me that we have power. We need to look for ways to leverage our power for the sake of other people in the room. At the end of the day, the legacy of your life and my life won't be what we write or what we own or what we even leave to our kids and grandkids. The, the legacy of our life will simply be did we use God's power that was available to us to impact other people's lives. That's it. There's a verse in the Old Testament that's just an incredible promise. We've, we've talked about recently, even on Sunday, uh, the promises of God, 7,000 promises in the Bible. Here, here's a promise I want to share with you about how willing God is to share his power with you, a power with me. But we need to put ourselves in a position to receive God's power. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He says, I want to share my power. I want to pour out my strength upon a special kind of person, a special group of people, people that understand 
what it's all about. Those whose hearts not are halfway committed, not almost committed, those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for direction. It is my heart fully committed in the direction of him. He's not looking for, for me to be perfect or you to be perfect, but is my heart totally open to God? Whatever you want, God, I'm going to do it. And he's searching and his eyes are just going all over the globe constantly. Where, where is one? Where, where is someone fully committed to me? Where, where are they? Where, where is someone who's not holding back? Where, where, where is someone who is, is all in 100%? Because when I find that man, when I find that woman, when I find that young person, I'm going to give them strength. I'm going to give them my power. Because they'll use it, not for their own selfishness, but to help others, to impact others. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth and his objective is this, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And so I ask you, what kind of power has God given to you? How are you using the power that God's given to you? Jesus wants us to use it the way he did. Not for himself, but for us, for others. That's real power, selfless power. So here, here's, here's a big question that I really started out with. How would you live if you knew God was more powerful than you actually think? Or maybe I should rephrase it this way. How, how would you live... If you realize God wants to give you the power to impact other people's lives, how would it change the way that you live right now? Here's what I think the answer is. We would tap into his power. If, if for a moment, as we've looked at, at Jesus in this example, the power personification of power, the power play when he knew he had it all and he used his power to serve others. I think that's what we would do. If we just realized that God was even more powerful than we think, we'd tap into his power. Real practically, as we conclude, I think there's five different ways that we would, our lives would be changed from what they look like right now. If we really begin to believe that God had more power than we actually give him credit for. First of all, I think we'd live freely because <laughs> we'd realize there is no addiction. There is nothing that this world has to offer. That there, there is, we would realize because of God's power, the chains of sin are broken over our lives. If we really believe for just a minute God really has as much power as he really has. We'd live freely. Second thing is, I think we'd serve energetically. <laughs> we wouldn't be like, man, do I have to serve? Do I have to help someone? Man, I gotta 
got to go watch those kids on a Sunday morning in the back valley kids. No, we don't have to. We get to because it's in the serving energetically that the power comes. That's why he gives us the power. That's why he gives us the strength. I, I think we'd live freely. We'd serve energetically. We give generously because that's the power of God. You know the verse. We could all say it all together right now. God so loved the world, he gave. There has never been a human being more generous than Jesus Christ. He gave it all. He gave his life, and it was out of obedience to God the Father. If we really believe that God has the power there, I think we would give generously and not stingily. We'd love unconditionally also. We'd love unconditionally. We wouldn't keep a record of wrongs. We wouldn't hold bitterness and resentment against other people. We, we, we would... We'd be like Jesus when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's power. That's real power. Just like Stephen in the book of Acts, the first martyr, said almost the exact same thing. When, when, when he was being pelted with stones and murdered because of his faith in Christ, he said, God, don't lay this charge against them that are throwing the stones. Forgive them, God, in his dying breath. That's power. And finally, I think we'd, we'd walk humbly. See, I, I think the first impression that Jesus made on everyone, it was of power and strength, but it wasn't cocky and arrogance. It was real power. He, he didn't have a swagger. He didn't have to. He knew who he was. We'd walk humbly. Micah 6, 8. I'll end with this. First verse that we ever encouraged our children. When they were very little girls, we started rewarding them for memorizing scripture. Micah 6, 8. He's shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That's what God requires of us. This is just what God expects of us because we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. He set us the example. This is power. This isn't worldly power. This is the kingdom of God power. This is what God wants to pour out on every one of us so that it flows through us to benefit others. And we follow the example that Jesus set for us when he recognized all power and authority had been given to him. And he took the towel and he served those around him because he knew my power is not for my benefit it's to benefit and to bless others that's the example that he set for us he's so much more powerful than I think we've ever imagined
And isn't it awesome that God just wants to pour out that kind of power in your life and my life? Not for our own selfish reasons, but to benefit others. I'm going to ask, would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of Jesus that he set for us, his followers. That's why we're, that's why we're called Christians. It means little Christs, that we follow after his example. Father, thank you that, thank you so much that Jesus did not use his power to benefit himself. But instead, he uses the power that he had to benefit each and every one of us by taking our place on the cross so that we would receive your mercy and your forgiveness because he paid the price through his sacrifice. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That for all those who receive that sacrifice that he made for us, your power, the power of your Holy Spirit is released in our lives. It's in our lives to, for us to receive your forgiveness and your mercy and also your empowering presence that we would be witnesses to that forgiveness and that love and mercy. And we'd use that power not for ourselves, but to bless and to benefit others. Father, I pray that during this time together today that we've, we've gained a new perspective on power, what it's really all about, and how you want to pour out your power through our lives to touch the lives of this community, this region, this valley, this state, Lord, and even this world, just like you did a handful of men and women 2,000 years ago. Right now, with, uh, with our eyes closed and our head bowed, I, I just want to ask you, each and every one of us, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because that's where the power comes from power to do his will, the power to have our sins washed away, to be forgiven, the, the power to have a relationship with our heavenly father, not because we're perfect, but because we're pardoned through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the mercy that flows out to us. You may say, well, Greg, how, how do I do that? It's simple. It, it starts with a confession, really. The, the Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the starting point to receiving the power of God in our lives for his purpose and his plan through our lives. And so if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer right now that is, is really when it's matched with your heart open to God and faith. It's that declaration that we just read there of declaring with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And just simply pray after me. Heavenly Father, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord. 
I, I turn away from my sins and I recognize Jesus took my sins upon himself on the cross. And, and Father, I recognize Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And I ask you to direct my life from this day forward with your power. Work in my life and through my life to touch others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.